of a Category 4 hurricane. And although it's not expected to make landfall, meteorologists are warning it will bring dangerous waves up to 15 feet on the coast of Puerto Rico and other islands. Lee is expected to strengthen and reach winds of up to 180 miles per hour. I'm Nicole Burley. That is all for News Nation Now. I thank you so much for watching all week. We'll give you a look at our primetime lineup. But first, the biggest headlines out of our nation's capital. The Hill starts right now. Have a great weekend. So Nancy Pelosi says she is running for Congress again. Why? Well, the 83-year-old former House Speaker says she's running to advance San Francisco values. Plus, he had a Zoom call with Zelensky, talks with the Russian ambassador, even the top brass in the Biden administration. What we now know about Elon Musk's involvement in the war in Ukraine. And it is one of the most secure rooms in the entire world. It just got a $50 million makeover. And before it got unveiled, I spent a half hour in. So what is it like inside the White House Situation Room? That right there. I'll share that experience with you. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. And hello there once again on this Friday afternoon. Thanks for being with us here on the Hill once again. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Bob Cusack, editor-in-chief of the Hill. Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill. Mick Mulvaney is the former chief of staff to Donald Trump and News Nation political and economic contributor. And Johanna Mosca, former Obama official and News Nation contributor. Hello to you all. We begin with a sitting U.S. Senator, Lindsey Graham. Today we learned a special grand jury in Georgia recommended charges against him relating to attempts to overturn the election results in 2020 in that state. But the senator from South Carolina is adamant that he did nothing wrong. I called around different states, including Georgia, as a sitting United States senator, chairman of the Judiciary Committee. I eventually certified the election in all states, including Georgia. I didn't find any evidence of mass voter fraud, but I did have concerns about the mail-in ballot systems in Georgia and other places. We can't criminalize senators doing their job. Lindsey Graham's name isn't the only one which appeared in the final report. For example, the former Georgia Republican senators David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, along with Donald Trump's first national security advisor, Michael Flynn, also there. The recommendations went to a different grand jury, which ultimately voted not to charge them when it brought indictments against Trump and 18 others. Mick, let's start with you here. You know basically all of the players involved. When you saw this today, what'd you think? Uh, That it's going to help Trump because it's going to make it look like we're criminalizing everything. There was a footnote in the grand jury report where one of the jurors who recommended against indictment said, look, this looks like pandering to me. It certainly doesn't look like criminal conspiracy. That, that's what half of the country is going to think. It's one of the challenges the prosecutors are going to face. I think Lindsay's right. I don't know what's wrong with the head of the Judiciary Committee going down saying, is everything okay here? I have to certify this election. So um, I think at the end of the day, this plays into Trump's argument that this is just a political witch hunt. I mean, ultimately, they didn't charge, right? So the, the next question is, though, when I saw the list, I was like, what has happened to some of these people? Michael Flynn, for example? I mean, that guy's like on a QAnon tour and going with with Donald Trump to various places. He he's a three star army general. What is going on? He's recruiting God's army. 
That's a little weird. Yeah. I mean, it's like people but, have been but, but indoctrinated. Is, is it criminal? I mean, that's the whole thing. We, we, we shouldn't yes. joke about it. No, joking about it. No, if we're joking about but, it. But is it criminal? And I think yeah. a lot of people are going, hey, are you going to you just know, make everything illegal? One, one of the headlines here is Donald Trump, of course. But really, Lindsey Graham, we're talking about one of the senior most senators in the United States. And you got to wonder what potentially here could come for him next. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I agree with Mick. I, I don't know why most of the people on the initial grand jury voted yes. I don't. I didn't see what they see. But as he said, he certified the results. Right. This does not look good, especially when you do have some legitimate charges. Uh, I, I agree with Mick that this looks a little weird, and I'm sure Graham was kind of very confused by this. I think my question, going off of what Johanna just said, what does this mean for Fannie Willis? Because she's going to be getting a lot of questions about this. She decided ultimately not to go ahead and yeah. charge. So does she get a lot of the pushback here, or does that go elsewhere? All right, let's bring in Michael Zeldin. He's a former federal prosecutor over at the Department of Justice. Michael, thank you for being here on the Hill. Um, if you're Senator Lindsey Graham, what's his exposure, if any, going forward here? I don't think he has any criminal exposure. and He'll be exposed to the voters of South Carolina, and they'll decide whether or not they think he should continue on as senator when he's up for re-election or not. It's a Straight political question for the voters. This is not a criminal law matter any longer. Finally, Willis has passed, and that's that. Can you explain to us, there, there was the group here, Lindsey Graham, David Perdue, Kelly Loeffler, those last two were, were former senators. Obviously, nothing happened to them, but to, the, to Donald Trump and the 18 others, obviously, they, they have criminal exposure here, potentially. How was that? Can you explain, explain to us sort of the difference there and how that line was drawn? Sure. Well, it falls within prosecutorial discretion. And prosecutors look at the evidence that it has adduced in the grand jury and make determinations. In the case of Graham, 13 people said he committed, he, there was probable cause to believe that he committed a crime. Seven said otherwise. And Loeffler and Kemp, uh, uh, the other, Purdue, similar splits in numbers. And so the prosecutor looks at it and says, you know what? I don't think the grand jury made an overwhelming recommendation. I'm going to exercise my discretion and choose not to indict. So that's very basic bread and butter stuff. And I think in some sense, good for Fonnie Willis. She could have indicted everybody. It was within her power. She right. exercised discretion in a sound and reasonable way, which undermines the notion that this is a weaponized Justice Department going after people in a political witch hunt. Michael Zeldin, uh, former DOJ official. Michael, thank you. Appreciate the perspective. Mick, when you hear, hear Michael there say good on, on Fonnie Willis, is that another way to look at it? I mean, I guess that's mm -hmm. the other side of the coin. I think so. That's the argument. Is is. Like, look, I could have charged these people, but I didn't. I'm being reasonable. That's not how the Trump team is going to spin it. They, go, look, look, <laughs> right. they say you can indict a ham sandwich. I was yeah. expecting the next person on the list to be a ham sandwich. Um, and my guess is that this is going to be part of the narrative that Trump pushes. Instead, you have your former national security advisor. Maybe a ham sandwich. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, former President Trump, uh, speaking of, heads to South Dakota tonight for his first rally since he was arrested in Georgia over alleged efforts, as we've been talking about, to overturn the 2020 election results. Appearing on stage with him will be South Dakota's Governor Kristi Noem. Now, the image of the two of them on stage side by side is welcome to her allies, as some Republicans have talked about Noem as a possible vice presidential pick for Donald Trump. Is that how you view it, Bob? I think she is not only one of the favorites, I think she's the favorite. And I've been mm -hmm. saying that for months. I, I, she's a former House member. Uh, obviously, Trump likes her. Trump likes what he said recently. I didn't run because why would I? I would lose to Donald Trump. Now, but then you think about the name Trump Gnome. 
I don't know if that rings quite right. <laughs> but Trump it, may not like that. But as, <laughs> what, I mean, you're you're bullish on her prospects too. Which as the VP, Trump Nome and Trump, Trump Pence, short names win elections. They right. just do. Oh, that's true. Uh, but it could be G N O M E. You know what I mean? There you go. Um, I, I'm with Bob on this one. I think she's the odds-on yeah. favorite at this point. It's early. Um, the difference, you know, I think Nikki Haley is a very compelling candidate, but Nikki Haley did run against Donald Trump, and Christy Nome chose not to. I think Christy's done a nice job of positioning herself, and she's certainly going to be in the, in the discussion. We're a long way off from making that decision, but she's, at the, she's on the list for sure. I think the big question with Christy Nome is she comes from a very reliably red state. Obviously, South Dakota doesn't necessarily mean anything for the general election in the uh, grand scheme of things. However, can she win back suburban women voters right. in particular? Well, and to that, I talked to Tommy Laren, who actually was an intern for Christy Nome as her first job, and she told me the dirt. It's coming out on my podcast next week, okay. but Christy Nome has a lot of dirt on her. She actually, her family ranch has gotten a lot of government assistance when other people's family ranches haven't. She had her daughter was applying for a real estate license, and when she applied for the real estate license and didn't get it, well, Christy Nome pulled in the executive. Every, every potential candidate will get yeah, that. You, you know how this works. She's going to be loyal. She is a disaster. The only I'm vice sorry. presidential choice that matters is Biden's if he's the nominee because of his age. I don't think anybody mm. cared about Mike Pence or anything cares about Christy Nome's. Kamala Harris is going to be Trump, what, whether or not she's on the ticket is going to be the interesting. Trump question. is almost as old, but not nearly as old. He but just isn't. He's, he's this. Just, it, but that doesn't matter. We talked about it the other day. You can decline very yeah. fast, right? So it's four years difference. They would have been a freshman and a senior. So I do think it matters very much. Speaking but, of, but Nick, you don't think that Harris would get bumped from? The I don't think. I don't think they can. No, I think, no, no, but it may be the first time in a long time where voters actually look at who the vice presidential choice is in making their presidential choice because that almost never. And the question is, if there ever gets to a point where Kamala Harris needs to ascend to the commander in chief. What might that look like? And she was asked about it just the other day, if she's ready or not. Here's what she said. Yes, I am, if necessary. But Joe Biden is going to be fine. And let me tell you something. I work with Joe Biden every day. The work that under Joe Biden's leadership, our administration has accomplished is transformative. She's given that basic answer twice this week. Is is, is that the sales pitch? No, but is, is but is that the answer though that she needs to give? And she she could say yes and then fill in the blank a million different ways. What about that specific answer? Well, she did. She said Joe Biden's doing the job. You know, you can you can spin on how many different ways she can say Joe Biden's doing the job. And this week it should be he's doing the job in India. He's going (laughs) over to the G20. But the the only option for a vice president who's running is, yes, of course, they're ready to be president. All right. Well, in a year when our leaders ages. By the way, have, of, as we've talked about, comes sharply into focus, headlined by Mitch McConnell, Dianne Feinstein, President Biden. The 83-year-old Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi announcing today that she will run for re-election next year, saying that, quote, now more than ever, our city needs us to advance San Francisco values. There is a lot of ways to take this one. <laughs> we've obviously been talking about age, Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden, so on and so forth. But when I saw that tweet, and there's a lot of ways that you can announce that you're running for re-election and whether she should step back in the fold. San Francisco values, I think there's a lot of folks who would say that shouldn't be in the first sentence. Well, and it's wow. almost like she's taunting uh, Republicans. You because think so? San Francisco is the boogeyman for Republicans. I mean, 
my goodness, Ron DeSantis was there for a fundraiser a couple of months ago. And for a while, a line in his stump speech was, oh, I saw someone defecating on the streets of San mm. Francisco. That's but what he was there saying. There are people moving out of Florida because they feel that they've gone too far against people who are gay, against people who... No, just, not the same way people and, are moving out of California. Are black. No, that's not yeah. true. I, the, I disagree. So <laughs> on the San Francisco value, Nancy Pelosi has a constituency there who actually believes in those values. I would say in San Francisco, they're ready for a change. And I've seen her a number of times. And, and to Mick's point earlier, decline can happen fast. She is an incredible warrior for those values. I think she should step aside and give someone else the chance. Bob, wasn't there a great piece in The Hill this week about <laughs> potential fix to this? Across <laughs> that. She did this. She did say something, or at least the, there was an AP report out about this, where she said she was doing this in part to protect democracy. The democracy was at risk if she didn't run. I'm not really sure what that means. Does that mean if Donald Trump wins that we're going to lose democracy? I thought that was very strange language. But I think this is about Trump. It's not about San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It's about Mm -hmm. her wanting to win. And listen, she's a great fundraiser. Jeffries is still new on the job. She's still very sharp at 83. Um, you think so she wants to be there in case Trump wins? Is that is that, or do you think she wants to be on the ballot at the true. same time? I think she probably a lot wants of these to be guys, uh, whether it's women or uh, they just love the game and they love the power. She, you know, she stepped aside so Hakeem Jeffries yeah. could go to leadership. I thought that was sort of supposed to be the transition out, right? That's like, what I thought. like, why is she running again? I guess I, yeah. not many members of Congress are doing that. So <laughs> I guess she doesn't have many you know, role but, models to step aside. I mean, she was rare to even give up the power that she did. Here's, we haven't seen McConnell do Here's it. part of, I don't know, however you want to describe it. San Francisco Gate, headline, quote, Workers in San Francisco's Nancy Pelosi Federal Building told to stay home due to crime. Federal workers in downtown building were advised to work from home indefinitely because of crime in the area. Like, is this part of her legacy here? I I just don't understand how you come out of the gate when you've got a building named after you in which people are being told to stay home because of crimes and crime and drugs in the area. And you say, I'm running again because of San Francisco values. She's going to win. I mean, she's not even close. She's going to win 80 to 20. Uh, The San Francisco values does mean something to the people of San Francisco. If they didn't like San Francisco, they would have voted her out of office. San Francisco values, they would have voted her out a long time ago. I could see a progressive getting in the race against her, though. There has been a progressive who has repeatedly primary challenged her, and it hasn't gone anywhere. It's sort of been money money plays big in California, so it's a little different than AOC, but that, you know, she's not very connected to the community always, so I could see someone Can getting she in still the raise the money? She raises a ton of money. She Bob's absolutely right. I mean, that's one of the reasons that she's still around. Yeah. Can she still do that if she's out of office? I sort of get the impression she can. She's still going to mm, be Nancy Pelosi. That's a good yeah. question, actually, I, if I she didn't so. have the power. I think she still has the star power. Maybe not to the degree when she was Speaker, but yes, I do. Yeah. And I, I think and she's got to be a little bit worried about a potential primary challenge, so lean into the local issues, because it's, mm-hmm. it's, she's not Speaker anymore. She's yeah. representing San Francisco. Last word to you, Mick. You, you referenced your article. It would basically say Nancy Pelosi shouldn't run again. Yeah, the constitutional amendment would, would say, look, you can't stand for office after you're 75 years old. I, 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 listen, I, I, I'm glad we're having the conversation. You said something mm-hmm. really insightful yesterday. You cannot run away from your age. Mm-hmm. You can run away on different policies. You can change your mind on how you voted on something in the past. You can say you've had a change of heart. You can't run away from your age. I, I'm glad we're having this discussion. Apparently, in, the, in Congress, John James is introducing yep. a piece of legislation that's similar to what we've talked about in the Hill this week. Well, if you're Tom Cruise, you can run away from your age. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to go. Uh, you can do it very, very 
Very, <laughs> yeah, very fast. All right, coming up, major power players involved in the war in Ukraine. It's not Putin, not Zelensky, not even Joe Biden. New details now on how Elon Musk was making tactical decisions at the beginning of the war and who from the Biden administration wanted to get a hold of him. Plus, tonight on On Balance, Leland goes one-on-one with the Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. That is live here on News Nation, 7 o'clock Eastern. The Hill coming right up after the break. I read this story several times today. It is fascinating to me. He's not a head of state. He doesn't have an army. He has no experience whatsoever in war. But now we are learning just how much the players in both Russia, Ukraine, and even here in the U.S. leaned on Elon Musk at the beginning of the war in Ukraine. There is a new book out next week on Musk by the famed biographer Walter Isaacson, and the Washington Post has published an excerpt of it. And here is just one sample of it. It deals with Starlink satellites, which Musk oversees. Quote, He refused to turn the coverage for Crimea back on, arguing that Ukraine is now going too far and inviting strategic defeat. He discussed the situation with President Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, and chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, explaining to them that he did not wish Starlink to be used for offensive purposes. He also called the Russian ambassador to assure him that Starlink was being used for defensive purposes only. Do we have General Musk here? This is so weird to think about because lately, with all the coverage of Elon Musk and X, I prefer Twitter, but I guess is what it's called. I think of him as this maybe right-leaning, very populist figure. You don't put him in this setting, but you forget that he has so many other endeavors, other connections, you know, to to these other worlds like Starlink. It's a reality. I mean, he has ties there. Starlink might end up being one of his most profitable companies. So he, he, you know... There are 4,500 Starlink satellites, just for context here, 4,500 Starlink satellites. That is half of the active satellites in space right now. Mick, you know this. Republicans make the argument. You know, the, the free market, private enterprise can do it better than the government. What happened here is we turned things over to Elon Musk. And now we see that at the beginning of the war in Ukraine, it was a General Musk calling shots. Two things. I have to respect the quote. Starlink was not meant to be involved in wars. It was meant so people could watch Netflix and chill yeah. and get online for school <laughs> and do good and peaceful things. I respect that. That's, that's in, the, in the book what Elon Musk told uh, Walter Isaacson. Here's my larger question. It's, sort of a, it's a philosophical question mm-hmm. for us as a country. So I guess we were okay with Facebook and Google getting involved in the election for the side that they liked, but we're not okay with Elon Musk getting involved in this on the side that he likes. I can't have it both ways. I don't think I'm either okay with either of them, right? And they've they've gotten too much power. I... I was part of planning President Obama's visit down to NASA, where we were opening up a lot of the, uh, you know, free market uh, space exploration. And we had an event where we had to walk with Elon Musk long before any of us knew what Elon Musk was going to become. And I remember at that time, you know, we didn't want the cost. But I think we made a major mistake. I think our administration made a major mistake, and I hope that the government reconciles it because industry has too much power but, right but now. But how do you fix it now? You, that and yeah. that, yeah. Well, the that's way you fix it question. is nationalize it. Mm. That's, that's what nationalize yeah. what? Start? Sure, why not? I mean, that's, how, that's one way. Take it I'm up, not like, for that. Let's make that perfectly clear. <laughs> right. But you, but you, you could. think it's a you problem. Could. So how, you but how would you do that? It's a private company. It's already relying so heavily on government. 
they nationalized it. They yes. take it. They, they can take your property in front of your house to build a road. They can take, eminent domain. They can take also, satellites. Also, they're I'm not, very I'm not heavily, endorsing that, but right. that's what they're they very heavily already dependent on U.S. government contracts. In many cases, they were built by them. So, were the so car it is. It well, you're right. And there is a problem when all of the car companies were potentially going bankrupt, and we don't have a car company. We need good car companies. So there, that was a big dilemma for the Obama administration. I think there is probably some in between, but they shouldn't be getting so much government money and then have the decision making capability. I, I think the broader question is this: Are they utilities? Is, okay. is, is Facebook is Star- a utility? Mm-hmm. Is Starlink utility? Google a utility? And should they be regulated like utilities? Yes. I think that's the broader conversation. But if they were regulated. Could then the U.S. government at this point say, Elon, at that point, could they say, Elon, you are not shutting off Starlink access when Ukrainian yes. drones go to Crimea? Because, because they're regulated. in this, Elon was the one who made that decision. Yeah. He was the one uncomfortable. He should not do that. Not the U.S., not, not the Ukrainians, like, it was him. Just like Facebook was uncomfortable printing stuff about Hunter Biden's laptop during the 2020 election. I mean, so yeah, the, the, the argument exists on both sides. Republicans don't like Facebook and Google having that much part, uh, power. There's Folks in both parties who don't like uh, Elon Musk having this much power. So the debate is, should they be utilities? How much does the U.S. government need Elon Musk? Because, you know, you think about Starlink, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, shot off through space or, you know, SpaceX. I think it's part of SpaceX, um, which, you know, uses the government launch pads. And like they are inter- intertwined, by the way, there's reporting that he anyways, they are intertwined. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. like you can go down a rabbit hole on this. But but I mean, how powerful is this guy? I mean, I thought when I initially saw this report, I thought, well, that, what was he doing? But then it, it is his call. I mean, as people can criticize that and say, well, no, he should have gone the other direction. But it's his company. Yep. That's the problem. And that needs to be reconciled because this guy is trying to launch himself into space and leave all the rest of us <laughs> behind. Mars, if the government if, if we had done what Johanna said with respect, we wouldn't have this issue because yes. we wouldn't have Starlink. Yes. Because the government's not capable of doing what he has done as quickly and as effectively as he's done. Right, and that's, maybe, maybe not. That's, that's both, sides of, both sides of the argument there. All right. Coming up. No Putin, no she, no problem. President <laughs> Biden is now at the G20 summit, even though some of the most important power players are not there. So why did he go? What does that mean, especially with everything that's happening back at home? The president's abroad, and we are a week away, potentially, from a UAW strike. A lot on his plate, and we'll talk about it. Welcome back to The Hill. President Biden arriving in India earlier this morning ahead of this weekend's G20 summit. His international trip comes as the president faces a possible strike from workers of the big three automakers back here at home. And there are far-reaching economic ripple effects if a deal is not in place six days from now. Next Thursday. Julia, we see the president arriving uh, overseas yeah. today, G20 summit. What does he hope to accomplish here? Look, the first priority is obviously strengthening, I think, U.S. and Indian ties right now as we see China really growing its influence in Asia. We know that India is obviously concerned about that. But you also have the U.S. continuing, obviously, to have this, I don't want to say Cold War, but tension with Russia at a time when India says it's disappointed that Russia didn't show up to this. So, um, you know, I think Biden's trying to definitely maneuver 
outmaneuver um, U.S. relations with India in a way that obviously works for his administration. It also comes as, you know, the Biden administration has been somewhat critical of India uh, on the record on human rights and journalism. Biden knows how critical this is. And President Xi from China not going is actually to his benefit. Mm -hmm. He can meet with people he needs to who are all together at a summit that China convened when China's trying to draw them to their side. But if there's no... Modi, Modi, of course, the prime minister of India, he's in a little bit of a back and forth with President Xi because he has cut off Chinese ability to invest in India. And so, as I understand, there is a falling out there and Biden has an opportunity to go. No Putin, no Xi. You're talking about probably two of the biggest individuals that it relates to the president. Why go? For the exact reason that Johanna just mentioned. Okay. Absolutely go to this because it's a chance to have that sit down with Modi without Xi and Putin there. It's a billion and a half people. It's an important part of the quad, the new arrangements yeah. that we're trying to build in the, in the, in, in Asia to sort of uh, counter uh, Chinese influence. I think it's, you have to go. Uh, I hope it's successful. It's, I think the Chinese and the Russians not going sends a very strong message, but also creates a good opportunity. So Bob, so President Biden there, he, he comes back in a few days, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, I think, yeah. right? Somewhere in there. Um, UAW. Yeah. This is a big deal. It's not settled. Yeah. T minus one week. The president has been front and center in this, or at least inserted himself in this. I guess he'd be making calls on this while he's over there. Like, what's his game plan here the next six weeks or so? Because the administration, you know, is right in the middle of this. They're in the middle of this. This is a big storm that's coming. It's smart that he's going to India. That's very important. At the same time, you got to juggle when you're president. This could be disastrous uh, for the White House. So he should be making phone calls. You've got the potential shutdown. You've got a potential fight against the speaker. This is going to be a very messy month. Um, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Michigan. I mean, this is like the core for him, and that's at the heart of the UAW potential strike here. And it also comes at a time when he has very poor poll numbers. We all saw that CNN poll um, showing that a plurality, I think maybe it was a majority of Democratic and Democratic-leaning respondents polled, said they didn't think he would be, they wanted him to be the nominee. That's huge. Scott Bolden, on this program earlier this week with Mick and I, said that there wasn't going to be a strike. I would not be so sure. My wife went to go get her Brakes fixed on her Dodge today and was okay. a six to nine month wait for Ugh. the part. Mm. For the part on brakes? Part, okay. It, likely or possibly because people have been hoarding now, expecting that there's going to be some side huh. of a strike. If the, if the most union, pro union president in history, which, which is what he says yeah. Yeah. this week, yeah. ends up sleepwalking into a huge uh, union strike, it can be really, really uh, bad for Do him. Do you think that's what happens here? Like, a- anybody have a, have a gut feeling? On- they have, I mean, let's be clear, they just have the, a point someone new to take over their labor relations. I expect that they know what's going on, but they want them to be able to press for not just higher wages, which we were talking about, but some of the benefits and some of the the necessities that they need, whether it's air conditioning or the other uh, elements. All right. So while the president is overseas, there's potentially a new policy along the southern border that has the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, none too pleased. The L.A. Times is now reporting that the Biden administration is considering forcing some migrants to stay in Texas while awaiting asylum processing. Essentially, think of it as a remain in Texas policy. Governor Abbott responded on social media, writing in part, quote, this scam was tried years ago and was shot down by a judge. We will send Biden the same swift justice and we will add even more buses of migrants to Washington, D.C. What is the play and what is the out here 
for, for the Biden administration. And by the way, you've got sniping back and forth among Democrats. We'll get into that in a second. But what's, what's the play here for the Biden administration? Uh, politically, whatever you think of the tactic, it has worked uh, moving the migrants to, to blue cities, basically. And now we have criticism from Eric Adams of the Biden administration, even though we also criticize Abbott, the mayor of right. New York. So this is, I mean, the Biden administration needs a plan. Their plan is for Congress to fix immigration. That's not going to happen uh, probably for several years, if, if not a decade. So I, I think this is a, a major problem. And this is, if you look at Biden's numbers, you talk about the economy, not so good. Immigration is not great. But, but, a, but a plan isn't a remain in Texas policy. No. That, that's no, that's I, not a plan. No, that, or that, a remain in any state policy. I think like, it shows that they're thinking with the seat of their pants. They, they're not, they don't have a firm plan, and that's going to hurt them both policy-wise and politically. It's pandering, which apparently in Georgia could be criminal. Um, but I'm not really sure how they would enforce this. I mean, let's yeah. stop to think it through for 30 seconds. It doesn't take very long to figure out this is it's a joke, right? What are you going to do? Put a wall. We did a remain in Mexico policy, mm -hmm. right? And we struggled with it, even though we had the Mexican government cooperation because the border is porous. The border between Texas and Oklahoma is pretty porous. So unless you're going to build a wall around Texas to keep yeah. people in Texas. I'm not even sure how this practically would work. So I'm not sure where this came from. Um, this is the kind of thing that really comes back to haunt you in a, in a, in a campaign. I did look. Los Angeles had 13,000 migrant children enrolled versus New York City that said 20,000 migrant children, yeah. which I was surprised that New York had more. But the solution is not easy. When DeSantis says use, you know, force, are you going to start shooting people at the border? I mean, we've talked about that. That's not going to so happen. So you mentioned New York. You mentioned New York. Eric Adams, the mayor there. He, a Democrat, by the way, has real issue, taking real exception with, with the president and the administration on this one. Watch. We're getting no support on this national crisis. And we're receiving no support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to? I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City? That is the Democratic mayor of the largest city in this country. And a centrist also. That's how he got elected in New York. This, this Adams-Biden feud yeah. is one to watch in the election year. Un unwrap it here for a second. Well, I mean, it's just because they don't have the resources. And, and how often do you hear the, the mayor of New York City? This could lead to our demise. I right. mean, New York gets through everything. I'm from New York. And so, no, I, I think the, the, the Adams criticism, which has been seized on by conservatives, as it should be, uh, is going to be something. And, and it, remember, the party that's unified usually wins. This Democratic Party is not unified on this. And other centrist, moderate Democrats have been warning about this last election cycle. You heard Senator Mark Kelly talking about this from Arizona. Even Senator Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire, not even a border state with Mexico, has been talking about this quite a bit. So the warning signs have been there. But I think now that you're seeing these migrants physically in these blue cities, now these blue cities know what it feels like to be a border town. The line I take away from that is we're receiving no support. Okay, Right. That's and type. that's the... That's the message That's that goes the, out, and that yeah. doesn't mean that Donald Trump is going to win New York. What does it mean? Right. It means some folks might not show up to vote for, for, for Joe Biden. It doesn't mean Trump wins New York. What it means is the Republicans might be more competitive in a couple of House seats, in state House, in state legislature seats. That's the kind of message, to your point, about a party divided could have difficulty. And there are a lot election. of key seats up in New York. Correct. Mm -hmm. A lot of tight seats. Yes. In the All right. Well, coming up, is the Pentagon's UFO office now sending out 
some sort of cryptic message? That's what one expert is saying, and we will talk to him next. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. That is a question that is posed in a new opinion piece in The Hill. Merrick von Rennenkampf writes the Pentagon's UFO office is sending cryptic alien messages. He's a UFO expert, was an analyst with the State Department as well as an Obama administration appointee over at the U.S. Department of Defense, and he joins us now. Merrick, thank you for being here uh, on the Hill. What do you mean by that? The Pentagon's UFO office is sending cryptic alien messages. Explain it, please. Like, yeah, thanks for having me on. So the Pentagon is a new UFO office that has been stood up um, at the urging of Congress. It's about 30 people working in this office. It's a fairly significant undertaking. And they just unveiled a their website. Um, and one of the documents on that website is a, a mission overview, basically. And tucked in that document is okay. a stock image that is titled... Alien technology in a metallic ball. And that normally, under normal circumstances, could be taken and interpreted any possible way. Could be a prank by an intern, what have you. But there's a a fascinating amount of context here that leads me to believe that there's more than meets the eye. And in short... what? uh, Because some people might might hear that and say, Mark, come on, like, that's a stretch. But what would you tell them? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the director of the Pentagon's office gave a presentation back in May and that he said that the most commonly observed UFO are metallic orbs. I'm quoting directly metallic orbs that have been seen all around the world conducting very interesting apparent maneuver. So Blake, I don't know if you know of any metallic orbs that can maneuver, but if you do, I'd love to drive one. I'd love to have one in my, my garage. Uh, This goes back. This goes back. Up to world back to World War II. So at the end yeah, of so World War II. Yeah, so there's a headline from the New York Times Floating Mystery Ball is a New Nazi Air Weapon, December 14th, 1944, which, I mean, if pilots were, or, you know, folks back then were, or you're saying, are basically seeing the things that we're seeing now, what is it, 80 years later, 75 years later? Bingo. You get, you get the nail on the head. So that, that started back in World War II. Um, and it continued. You, you see reporting in the uh, late 1940s into the early 1950s consistently in government documents saying that the most commonly observed UFO, just like today, is a metallic sphere, a metallic orb, a circular object. And fast forward to 2014 and 2015 and naval aviators off the U.S. East Coast were detecting on their sensors very strange objects that were conducting very, very um, bizarre maneuvers. They were stationary against hurricane force winds. They were flying at Mach 2, and eventually they got eyeballs on these things. And guess what? Yeah. They were round spheres. So my my radar is peaked here. I'm, my interest is peaked. But bring me back, bring me back to, the, to the website, Mark. Bring me back to the website. What is the, we're sending out a signal? 
Yes. So tucking away a stock image that is literally titled, it's an Adobe stock image that's titled Alien Technology in a Metallic Ball. That Got to it. me so that's is where you're connecting given the dots. all of give it yes, exactly. That's that's literally okay. the name of that of that image. So so that is sending an interesting message. I, I, I do you think it's interesting, Blake? I certainly do, given all of the I'm context. fascinated by all I'm, this. I, I, I yeah, think it's the, Yeah. Yeah, I, I was I just going to say, absent all of that too. context, I think I think there's um, you know there, there's maybe a, a, a prank at play here, or you know we we don't need to read too deeply into this. But but given right. the history of this and what we're seeing, I'm intrigued. Mark von Run- von Runenkampf, uh, thank you for joining us here on the Hill. Appreciate the time. We'll have you on back. Uh, Thanks over so much. to the panel. What's going on here? Like Congress isn't is. In, is taking a look into this. Obviously, we've been reporting on it extensively. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm curious to see if they'll take a look into it now and um, <laughs> see what those orbs are. Look, I think there is some maybe some curiosity from lawmakers to see if the Pentagon is hiding something, um, if there is some information, whether it's from beyond or here that we don't know about. But I'm curious to see what happens next. Your, your old boss was asked about this the other day. Uh, here was Donald Trump. Uh, and, and he Hugh had Hewitt. an opinion on it. Uh, he did have an yeah. opinion on it. Here was Donald Trump on the Hugh Hewitt show. I interviewed a couple of people from the Air Force that these guys were central casting perfect guys with their crew cuts. And they walked in, they were handsome as allies. And what do you think? And they believe it. I mean, they believe it. They said they saw it. And So you got briefed on UFOs? I was briefed, yeah. That's the most Trump answer. The, the central <laughs> casting line. How many times did we used to hear that? I always wonder when I see just the picture of him whether he's like actually sitting on the toilet and doing this <laughs> or like what he's doing. It's, like, a, it's, it's a radio like, interview. I have no idea. But no, back to Marek. Marek, uh, I actually know Marek. So yes, I, he was on the road for some of our stuff like during the campaign. So it was surprising to see you, Marek. But uh, if he has the aliens Morse code, I'd love. <laughs> Love to know what it is. <laughs> That's you know I don't understand. And I oh Donald Trump. If if, if Trump got casting. briefed on this, you gotta wonder. If Biden's been. Everyone. I mean Biden we know has been briefed on it, but sure. Obama, but like Bush, like dating dating all the way back. No, I mean, if you're president, it's probably one of the want, first questions <laughs> that you would walk in. Yeah, I mean, but think about it. All the, working for government can be great, but it can be a little dull. But working in the Pentagon UFO office, that must be kind yeah. of fun. <laughs> I mean, I, I love that. Gig. The thing that was, can I ask though, if yeah. he, if if Trump got briefed on this, don't you think they would be among the classified documents that would be in Mar-a-Lago? That like there'd be some proof of aliens. Well, down maybe, there? maybe he didn't bring those. The, the, the fascinating thing to me is like, if you're briefed on this, you got to keep the secret. Right, like you can't and talk he's, about. He's not that's, good at that. That's Mick. <laughs> Mick, you got to tell your story. No, 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 no. no. That, that, wasn't, that, Mick, that wasn't. That wasn't. That wasn't directed. Mick, that wasn't directed to Mick whatsoever. Mick said no. No, that was no. I got nothing. If you, if, you know what I mean. If, if, if you're the president of the United States, you sit on it. Like he was asked the question, he couldn't answer it. That's it. Part of the intrigue. But now you can say, like Aaron Rodgers, the the quarterback said. He saw a UFO. Remember when Dennis Kucinich uh, was running for president and he said he, he saw a UFO and it almost like it really hurt his career. In the Midwest, now, it's okay to say In that. the Midwest, it's very regular. We all see UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, coming up, Elizabeth Vargas reports is minutes away. Tonight, she'll be speaking with the Hartford County Sheriff Jeff Goller about the investigation into the killing of Rachel Morin and why he thinks that killer will strike again. That's coming up on Elizabeth Vargas reports uh, 10 minutes from now here on News Nation. Well, it is likely the most secure room in the world. 
If it's not the most, it's certainly one of them. Yesterday, I was among a very small group allowed to go inside of it, see the brand new renovations. That right there is the Situation Room, tucked inside the White House. So what is it like being inside the brand new Situation Room? I'll tell you about it. Coming up. Tonight on News Nation, Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. joins Leland Vitter to discuss the latest polls. With President Biden's likability tanking and with growing concerns over his age, could this be RFK's time to break through? On Balance tonight. Pretty fancy, guys. <laughs> All right, so usually at, a, at this time, we talk about things that caught our eye. Uh, this quite literally caught my eye because, and you're looking at video of President Biden in the new Situation Room earlier this week. Uh, yesterday, I was there inside the Situation Room. There were about a dozen or so of us journalists who were allowed in to see the brand new Situation Room. Um, it was fascinating. I know you've been in this thing a bunch, but this is, so this, what you're looking at is the J, JFK Jr. Conference Center. Uh, $50 million upgrade to the Situation Room. Some of it cosmetic, of course. You see all the flat screens, the fancy lights, etc. The other part of it, uh, technological upgrades. Uh, they wouldn't tell us the exact technological upgrades. Of course, a lot of that is classified. But they said basically now this gives the president the, the ability to give the president of the United States more content. Been in the White House a lot. I never thought I would find myself inside the situation. You know, was, by the way, I've been in the White House more than you have. I, yes, you but have. I'm surprised they let you in. I, yeah, I, no, I was shocked <laughs> when I got that email. I, I, I had no like, idea what, what's I going had to on. like read it a few but times. But I, I took press to the Situation Room. I actually did for President Obama's trip to Afghanistan when we were pr- planning the live address to the nation on the anniversary of Osama bin Laden's death. Everything had to be under the cover of darkness. So we actually did bring press in to have the meeting with them for what we were doing. So they had have gone before. And Jay-Z actually was unfortunately uh, photographed in the Situation Room okay. during our administration and put it out. So when I, when I walked in to the JFK Jr. Conference Center yesterday... J- uh, it's not JFK Jr., it's just JFK. JFK, J- sorry, JFK, <laughs> JFK Jr., sorry. I, I got RFK Jr. on my head. Um, he's, who's coming up tonight? Who's coming up tonight? It's 7 o'clock, o'clock. Yeah. that's why I have him on my head. Um, it, it was like the new car smell. walking in. Yeah, it it was like the brand new leather, all of that. And that's like the cosmetic stuff. They got the JBL speakers, the brand new LED lights overhead. I'm not sure what they accomplished by letting the press in. What, uh, I, probably I, well, this. The, probably but, like, but you the know. truth is, the American taxpayers have paid for this upgrade for a there, very long there's time. There's a lot of things the American taxpayers pay for that they never see. That's true. Yeah, that's, but that's the, the Situation Room is one of those things that actually sometimes is on tours, and they have the ability to turn everything off, so you don't actually know yeah, how so when I walk, can't advanced it when is. When I walked in, we had to go to that now uh, infamous area of the West Wing, which the you cocaine. know where you, you got to put your wallet away, your keys <laughs> you away. Did your cocaine? In the, I uh, did not bring <laughs> any of cocaine. that, nor would I ever have any of that. Um, and you got to store it in a locker. But the, the, the situation room is like, bang, right? It's like right it's around right the there. corner, Mick. It's tight. Listen, the place is small, and it's been. I'm glad they redid it. It's, yeah. The whole West Wing needs to be blown up and redone from scratch. <laughs> Apparently, they're going to do it. Well, it hasn't really been done since the 1940s. Right. It has been done since Truman you know, did it, and it is... But no president wants to give up the West Wing for the two years. No, they don't. That's By the way, can, can we show the can we show the image of uh, then President Obama during the uh, during the raid of Osama bin Laden? So this is the the famous picture. Um, they told us that this part, this room, 
not that That's room where, where President Obama was, is now going to the Obama Presidential Library, mm-hmm. and they sort of chopped up that room into two other smaller Which, rooms. So they say once you know that opens up, you'll. It follows precedent. The Reagan Library has the old Situation Room, and what's really cool there is they've actually made a game, an escape room kind of thing for huh. students to come and envision themselves as the different cabinet secretaries making the decisions on the day that Reagan was shot. It's really interesting. Wow. Now I just need yeah. to go up to the residence. That's the only thing. Oh, yeah. There you go. Lincoln bedroom. I wouldn't let you there either. Uh, there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all.